The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered, and my guest is broadcaster Tam Cowan. We talk about Tam's early days in media, including his then hugely popular BBC Scotland TV show Offside, which ran for nine years and 134 episodes. We discuss Off The Ball, the show he's presented alongside Stuart Cosgrove for 27 years on BBC Radio Scotland. And Tam puts me straight about the difference between a food critic and a restaurant reviewer, detailing his experience as the former. And as always, there's plenty more. This episode is brought to you by debt experts Don't Fret About Debt. If you're struggling with debt and you would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly repayments towards debt, then visit don'tfretaboutdebt.net forward slash blethered. You can also listen to my episode with Don't Fret About Debt senior debt advisor Tommy Gallagher where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't fret about debt offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland helping you to make an informed choice. So take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. If you enjoy this episode, feel free to share it. Cheers. Right, Tom, in 1996, you were described as a young pretender trapped in an old pretender's body. Do you remember who called you that and where? Uh, well, if you can give me a clue, if you can tell me who the old pretender was, whose body I was trapped in, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure that would bring back a vivid memory. No, I haven't a Scooby, who was it? It was Jim White, and it was when ah. he was he was a host in a game of two halves on STV. A game of two halves, yeah, that, uh, wow. And that was 1996? 96, right. Aye, that, oh, that was great fun, dear old Jim White, because... Um, it was uh, my my mentor, if you like, Philip Duffer, who was in charge of that programme. Phil, of course, the, the creator of um, Only an Excuse, and a guy who really, really took me under his wing when I was just a just a kid um, at BBC Scotland. But um, yeah, they had done a series of Game of Two Halves, and the team captains were Tony Roper and Dennis Law. And um, by the time Phil gave me a wee shout about it, I don't think it was working out for Dennis. It maybe wasn't his kind of bag. Mm. So I'd been already doing off the ball for about a year and a half by that point. I was writing with Evening Times. Um, and Phil asked me, and I remember just the the, oh, the panic it kicked in, uh, the nerves, everything absolutely jangling when he said, uh, do you fancy joining the show and being a team captain instead of Dennis Law? So first and foremost, um, I could tell the story about me coming on as a sub for Dennis Law, which, <laughs> which wasn't a bad tale to tell anybody. And uh, and I went in, and it was, it was great. Um, the scariest thing of all, though, um, probably surrounded the guy that you mentioned, because um, from 1991, when I'd started out as a columnist with Evening Times, now the Glasgow Times, um, and then going on the radio, Jim White was was easy pickings. Mm. You know, as the why as are the, you so good and all that? Exactly, all the, and that, and the really kind of clean cut, almost oily presenter of Scott Sport and everything, and what me Jerry McNee, daddy, daddy, da. Um, so I'd absolutely slaughtered them any chance I could. You know, so I, I remember it vividly. Get up to STV at Cowcaddens, get in there for the first day, kind of meeting and stuff. Uh, maybe a week or two ahead 
already uh, putting the first show together and meeting Jim White, you know, and it, 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 it kind of couldn't have been any more dramatic. If you've seen the brilliant documentary when Zola Budd meets Mary Decker after years and years and the way they film it, uh, they, they meet up in the stadium and they walk towards each other like gladiators and they were they were mortal enemies, of course, years ago and the suspense was killing you. You didn't know what was going to happen next. Were they, were they going to fight? Were they going to hug? What was it going to be? And it was a wee bit like that with me and John White. He, he came up the corridor uh, in Kirkadens and, you know, looking uh, very straight-faced and then he broke into a wee smile and he said, oh, it's you, yeah. And then a, a little good Glasgow profanity. <laughs> and uh, and he get, I always mind, he, he shook my hand really, really warm, like he says, great to have you in the show. And he was brilliant. He was brilliant. Uh, and did, before, did he not encourage you to keep having a go at him? He did. Before every show, every show we did, before we started uh, the recording, he says, Tam, mind, absolutely slaughter me. He says, that's what they want. And, and you know what? In front of a, 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 a live studio audience, the programme was recorded uh, um, as live I think if memory serves we recorded it on the Wednesday night and it went out on the Thursday night at kind of 10.35 on STV um, but the audience were always right up for the cup right mm. they, they, they they loved it a right good crowd of football fans so Jim knew what would what would make it work is for me to just absolutely annihilate him in front of an audience and he knew that made the show um, a wee bit better so so that was shooty in for me See I was kind of laughing about that but you saying you're apprehensive about, about meeting Jim for the first time and think because your type of humour anybody knows for columns offside off the ball you kind of have a go at people and a sort of light hearted jokey way so Rab Douglas famously oh, pulled Jock yes. once uh, well, he didn't so much pull me up. I was on the train going to, uh, as I would say to Stuart, a JFK moment, but I was on the train, hadn't a long pulled out to Glasgow Central, I was going down to Manchester, and I got a uh, phone call, uh, no no name came up, uh, and I answered it, hello, uh, Tom. I said, hi, hi, who's this? It's uh, Rab Douglas. I went, oh, hi, Rab, how you doing? When are you going to give us a break on that show? <laughs> and I said, oh, Rab, I immediately, after I'd kind of followed through, uh, <laughs> I, I said, Rab, I knew, I knew immediately we was talking about because we were doing offside at that time, which ended up doing for, God, overall, nine years. Um, it was a long, long time to do anything. And, um, you know, there, 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 are, there are times in football where, certainly back in the days when you could make jokes about things and people, but there was always a, a fat guy, whether it was Mark Yardley mm. or, you know, moving on a few years, meant to be Chris Boyd. Or none, none, none of whom are, were ever fat. When you get them into the radio studio where you realise they're, they're, you know, they're <coughs> about half the size of anybody else. Like Scottish football, but, they become caricatures aye, of themselves. That, aye, and then there's always the player that's deemed to be the thick player or the stupid player. There's always the one that's deemed to be the shagger or whatever, you know. <laughs> and at this particular time, uh, Rab Doug Douglas had a wee, maybe a few kind of dodgy performances and he was getting a wee bit of flack. So if it was a gag that you were doing that needed a goalkeeper as part of the punchline, then it was just Rab's hard cheese that it was it was him. But there was certainly no, it's always it was always a laugh. And not, because the other thing I always knew about Rab was that he's a motherable fan. He was a motherable fan, he still is a motherable fan, so I'd always had a certain we bite a soft spot for them. Um, but yeah, it was always a laugh. I, I think the danger, Sean, is where folk, uh, where it'd be deemed maybe novenous humorous, is if you were picking on the same team or picking on the same person or mm. picking on the same theme um, all the time. But as long as you mix it about, 
And as I've said for years, if you know, because you can't, you're not allowed to be a Motherwell fan in the media. Of course, you're either uh, a Celtic fan or a Rangers fan. The old who do you really support? <laughs> and as long as in the what now the 31 years that I've been involved in anything and everything, um, as long as folk keep switching that round, as long as they keep mm. accusing you one mate Rangers, one, I, I, I think well, I must be doing something right. There's um, talking to Rab Douglas at the time. Do you remember uh, what you and Cameron and Ruffy did on the real radio phone in about Rab Douglas? No. So basically, it was they were live I, on a, air. I'm a national broadcaster. I tend not to listen <laughs> like to the original, original stuff. stuff. <laughs> but there was uh, Rob Douglas phoned in and he's pulling them up, right? And they're kind of having a bit of a serious discussion. And you hear just this clattering, and then in the distance, you just hear the voice going, "Sorry, I've dropped the phone down the back of the couch, sir." And, <laughs> and I think he's meant to have pulled them up. I maybe it must be on the way to either a Scotland trip or a Celtic trip. He's dug them up. But Big Dab was alright and uh, as I say he managed to get his end back a couple of years later when I went to see Neil Diamond at the SECC in Glasgow and there was a nine and a half thousand crowd there uh, absolute party time with Neil Diamond everybody was up on their feet a wee bit of boogieing and out of that nine and a half thousand crowd um, the person that was stood directly in front of me I kid you not the seat in front of me the row in front of me was Rab Douglas all six foot eight? So I did. I had to peer around about him. So I thought that was kind of somebody's way of uh, big Rab getting his aim back in me. We um, talking about people having digs and stuff. I laughed. This must have been for about five minutes when I learned this the other day. Jerry McNee had a pop at you and Stuart. Oh, when oh, he's oh, first, yes. <laughs> do you know uh, what I'm talking about? Yes, he... I believe at one point he accused, as I think in his column, of being like uh, Scottish football's answer to the Crankies, <laughs> and uh, that was shooting because we get back uh, the very next Saturday, <laughs> and we were having a laugh about if Jerry's tuned in, Jerry, what what, what one is is it that you envisage in the school uniform? You know, <laughs> we were wanting to make his fantasy kind of really come alive from you know, uh, but Jerry again, see, I get my come up and with Rob Douglas, Jerry, if you like, get his come up and uh, with me for having a wee dig um, a few years later because when we went to the Scotland England playoff the double heater in 1999 the one where Don Paul, Paul Scholes aye Paul Scholes killed us in the first aye. leg 2 now, and then we went down there and we won 1-0 but when we're watching the first leg um, I'll not bore you with the story but uh, it just it just highlighted the difference of the way you're perceived between the BBC up in Scotland and the BBC in London when we turned up at Hamden with accreditation right after doing our show at uh, the BBC in Glasgow we went down um, into the BBC area at Hamden and I remember we, we kicked in and there was I think it was somebody like, I don't know Steve Ryder and uh, I'm sure Soonis was there and maybe Graham Taylor I can't really quite mind who it was uh, but it was the big hitters that had come up for the BBC for Down South and before you know it me and Stuart didn't have a seat and we were thinking this is absolutely typical they'll do all the crawling and all the subservient stuff to the, the big names that come up for Down South here we are in the rain patch if you like uh, we've got the accreditation we've come fresh for our show and we can't even get seen a bloody game you know so we were in the verge because Stuart I was still living in Mullow at the time so Stuart was a lot closer on Deniston we were ready just to juke out get a taxi head out to his and, uh, and watch the game uh, in Stuart's house and just as we're going down one of the corridors I uh, I will never forget this at the one of the BT um, uh, hospitality boxes it must have been a guy was just coming out uh, to go for a pee or whatever and he clocked me and Stuart and he started oh what are you doing guys how are you doing I, I just heard you in the wireless when I was coming in the taxi so we told him that we 
I think we maybe just dismissed it as a bit of mix-up or something. And he said, oh, come here, you're not going out to Deniston. Come on in with us. There's, there's bevy, there's a wee bit of food, and there's plenty of room in here, you know, a couple of boys hadn't shown up. So we went into the BT box where we ended up watching the game. Thank you very much to the guy who invited us. Wish I remembered his name. And about five minutes into the game, I was looking out in the game and maybe the ball went out for a shy, and I'm just looking about me as you do, and I looked around, and then down a corridor and then into the next section of uh, hospitality boxes with the, the glass kind of windows and all that floor to ceiling. Who do I see stood right at the front with a drink in one hand and a canopy in the other, but the bold Jerry McNee, <laughs> whose favourite word at the time and for a long number of years was fat cats. He was meant to hate all the fat cats who would just, uh, you know, got all the freebies in football, wouldn't pay their way in. And, and I thought, oh, this is absolutely priceless. Now, if it was in the day of the old uh, mobile phone cameras, I'd have been straight in there and got a wee picture with Jerry. But what I did, uh, the same BT guy who'd let me in his, uh, the, the, the wee hospitality section, he got me a big sheet of paper, like a big bit of card and a pen. And, and uh, I just wrote on it, fat cats, question mark. <laughs> and I held it up at the glass in our box. And then eventually Jerry kind of saw something out the corner of his eye. <laughs> and he looked her and he saw it. And I popped my head up above it. And he just, to be fair to me, started laughing. And he, he gave me a wee, uh, a wee wave as if to say, come here. So we do it. And to be fair to Jerry, I don't know who exactly he was with, but he took me into his uh, wee hospitality bit at half time and uh, made sure I had a drink and all that, made a good a good blather and a laugh. Sounds like you blagged it an absolute belter there. Well, that was a good bit. Don't get me wrong, because, you know, all right, we get scudded 2 0 and end up, but um, yeah, we, we, we thought we were going to have to end up watching it. In the house with Stuart, you know? see what you're saying. Just uh, it was before the time of cameras and that you can just take your phone out and take yeah. a picture of that. I have got another question. See, way people getting in touch with you back in the day, like I know it's not the Stone Age or anything, but how would people get in touch with you for, for jobs and all that? Do they have to come and physically find you? Uh, or send you a letter for jobs what sort of jobs well, do you mean so when, when you were offered your, that was your first thing on a game of two halves for example that was or, the first telly aye. so how, how does that kind of come well, about well I'll tell you when I well when I started doing anything which led to me uh, getting into the evening times as a columnist uh, I had already been submitting stuff uh, when I was in sixth year at high school in Motherwell uh, and to some BBC Scotland Was programs, that off the back of your English workshop that you went to? Yeah, that's right. They had a, It was a way of... Um, I think a lot of schools were doing it at the time. They were getting kind of local adults to come mm. into the school and they were doing me different classes. Um, our English department, uh, which... Uh, our, our head of English, Tom English... Uh, uh, Tom King, sorry, our English teacher. I was about to say, um, not a yeah, sports it, sound one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, 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 no. Um, he had, uh, Tom King, uh, he had organised this. So me and one of my mates went along, a mate who a good number of years later uh, would become my best man at my wedding. And we were writing wee bits and pieces and that. We ended up writing wee jokes and wee sketches and wee topical gags and stuff like that and the English teacher sent some of them in to a couple of radio shows some in Radio 2 some in Radio 4 and lo and behold some of them get used um, so this became a big deal because we were still at a school and mm. it was like wow and there wasn't a hell of a lot might be happening uh, in the Motherwell Times that week because we ended up on the front page <laughs> uh, which was absolutely embarrassing you imagine when you're that age you I know, know. Um, we were about 17 um, but it was a brilliant brilliant 
uh, way of encouraging us because um, I really persevered. My mate, he 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 ended up going and doing uh, geography at university. Um, he he maybe wasn't as keen on it as me, but I kept battering away writing for stuff. And there was there was loads of things you could submit material to then, including like Naked Radio on BBC Radio Scotland. Then the follow up to that, if you like Naked Video on the telly, you'd Scotch and Rye with Ricky Fulton mm. um, on BBC, and then of course Joy of Joys. Uh, uh, Phil Differ who had taken me under his wing by this point um, also had only an excuse on the go back when it was still uh, audio only so me as a football fan when I was able to that was at an early age that was my, my proudest moment I mean the the, the, the absolute no, 99% of the material was written by Phil and great writers like Bob Black and Ian Patterson, uh, Neil Clark. But even if you were able to get in your odd wee one-liner or a wee couple of lines here and there, you know, mm. it was such a buzz. So it meant that when I had a bit of that behind me in uh, 91, I, I managed um, to get a wee start with the, the Evening Times. And what happened was... I applied for a job, but I always remember I came home for the, the BBC one night after uh been up at Queen Margaret Drive at the Botanic Gardens, uh, working on, I think it might have been Naked Radio, and I walked right away down Byers Road, Langdon Barton Road, to get a train for Partick back to Motherwell. I had my copy of the Evening Times, and the Evening Times was um, advertising for what they called an entertainment writer. Now, I knew it was quite for me. They were looking for like a, a film critic or a TV mm. reviewer kind of thing, right? Um, and I had zero experience, um, you know, but I remember... And they always say interviews and what have you, you're meant to try and stand out for the crowd a wee bit or do something different. I wrote a poem into the the contact details that were there for the job in entertainment writer. And the only thing I can remember about it is a very, very last bit. I'd try to make it as funny as I could. And then the last couple of lines were, uh, because I believe an entertainment writer should be an entertaining writer. Right, and the magic worked. There you go. <laughs> it worked, and I got a a shout in uh, to meet uh, a guy at the Evening Times. And what happened next again? They but was this when they printed one of your letters? It was a letter. Said, it was Aye. there was a journalist called Graham Scott. Um, Graham Clark sorry Graham Scott was another guy at the Evening Times was this like to gauge people's reaction Aye. to see if they liked they it they had a letters page and I think the Monday, uh, the Wednesday sorry and they said you know what today effectively write a column write us about 800 850 words and we'll put it in as the main letter hmm. and we'll see if we get any sort of reaction to it so, you uh, were Tom coming back then I was well. Tom yes and, it, uh, and I sent it in and I don't think up to that point uh, including my old grades and my hires, I don't think I'd worked as hard on anything as I did um, on that on that article. And I put it in, and they got a great reaction. They got a smashing reaction, and uh, they then told me between the sports editor and the editor of the paper, right, uh, actually, you're in, you've got a column in next week. So it was a wee strip column. Um, I think my word count normally was something like, it was only about maybe 500 words main piece and a wee maybe 50 word bit at the bottom uh, I was paid £60 to send in a wee invoice once a month which I had typed written and uh, and that was it and that was a wee a wee foot uh, in, the, in the ladder and the great thing about that was that you know sadly I've been, I've been involved in newspapers ever since certainly the print side of newspapers and it's like anything else I mean every day you know you, you, you hear any any football fans 
primarily Celtic and Rangers fans who think that the papers have got it in for their club will always laugh and joke about the you know the circulation figures in newspapers now compared to then but it's the same as anything you know you could add up the the sales of video recorders uh, then compared to now you could you know you could go and see how many folk are uh, working as uh, lighting the gas lamps in the streets you know, <laughs> it's a good point times it's, move on they're kind of obsolete now exactly they? so they're, they're you know the papers are still they're hanging on in there I don't know how many other generations will get but everyone of course is transferred to online but the point I was going to make when I get a, a good start at the right time um, the the column for, for what it was it, it re- I, I spent I, I, I did put my heart and soul into it and it kind of uh, paid dividends because um, it, it got a big readership. The Evening Times at that period uh, sold a, a hell of a lot of copies mm. and uh, kind of took off a wee bit. And so between that and then the other kind of writing stuff, uh, about two or three years later, um, the uh, I, I, I kind of came to the attention of the of the BBC who were looking to start a a kind of a fan show. Um, on the radio so that platform that I had with Evening Times and mm-hmm. with my picture because by the time the BBC came calling um, I was up to I was doing three uh, pieces a week for the Evening Times and that was kind of like you know like my job Aye. Am I getting my wires crossed slightly or was it was Stuart reading your co- Stuart Cosgrove your off the ball co-host was reading your columns well he's down south but he's had you met No we'd never met um, so Stuart would when he was travelling up and down Channel 4 business he'd get the evening times uh, on a Monday or a Wednesday or maybe even a Saturday they were the three days ended up in it but even for the start and it was just a Monday Stuart would buy it read it and uh, and my only inkling of Stuart up to that point um, was uh, Hamden Babylon the book he'd already did, uh, written, which I was a big fan of, and uh, when I when I saw him popping up on things like the Late Show, mm. um, like a you know with the shades on indoors and all that kind of thing, you know, uh, looking like a complete tosser, <laughs> and um, but the I that was all I really knew Stuart, and the only time that I saw him, but he didn't see me. And, and the flesh was a, an end of season game between Muddle and St Johnston, where if memory serves, Muddle beat, uh, I think St Johnston beat us 1 0, but they still get relegated. And there was a wee posse of like ageing casuals that kind of walked around for the what is now the Cooper stand, round towards the Fur Park Club. And I thought, there's that guy Cosgrove that I've seen on the, the telly and stuff like that. He did that Hamden Babylon book. But that would have been the, 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 the last I saw him until a couple of years later, probably we. we or chucked together I, I think there's something quite poetic about that these are kind of fans of each other for afar and then sort of call it serendipity or whatever was it Angus Lyon that kind of put these together the guy at the BBC I, well I had got the call to do a programme which they did call uh, off the ball uh, by a producer called Alan Depolette in 1994 and that was starting right after the 94 World Cup mm. uh, the World Cup the, the, maybe the lasting image of it is Maradona running to the ah, corner flag and the ice popping at the end of that and um, I get the call and uh, they were doing that show called Off the Ball Alan was aware of what I'd done with the Evening Times and he quite fancied giving me a wee a wee stab at this so the programme uh, was going to be hosted by a a young uh, Canadian stroke Scottish Canadian <laughs> Greg Kempel and it was also going to feature um, a, an Asian Glaswegian guy called Sanjeev Kohli, 
and you think where are they now? You know, um, who went on to of course sell out the hydro many years later for about 23 nights. Uh, one <laughs> night of which I was opening a garden fete in a church hall in <laughs> Bells Hill. That's true. Uh, the very same night they were at a packed house in the hydro, uh, but anyway, um, so the three of us were kind of chucked together for that. We had a year of doing that and it was only a wee half hour show mm. um, you know uh, and but it, it, it probably BBC Radio Scotland up to that point I always say you had the impression when I was listening it coming back in a supporters bus or whatever up to and that they were all broadcasting with dicky bows on and, and big microphones coming out the sky with BBC written on a mm. wee bit kind of pathy news and it did seem a wee bit stiff a wee bit stuffy so we maybe put a wee bit of rocket uh, up the backside of uh, the way football was being broadcast, uh, and also, I mean, don't get me wrong, we we we, we owed a great deal to that. Um, the, the 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 kind of irreverence of things like only an excuse, um, you know. So, and and I by that time, you know, probably knew how to formulate a, a joke about football. So, um, we get steamed into that, and at the end of that year. Um, the the powers that be thought there's, there's there's something there for a show we should keep something like this going, but as Greg and Sanjeev will tell you, um, neither of them were really into fat, but certainly mm. not the same way I was. I was no. the only season ticket holder on the table, and I had been for a long, long time at Motherwell. So they decided um, Stuart had been doing um, some stuff in Radio Five, I think, at the same time, and uh, and obviously broadcasting doing other bits and pieces, Hamden, Babylon, seen as a St. Johnston fan, etc, etc. Uh, so they drafted him in to present a new kind of look show and only because I had been there uh, in with the bricks the previous year, um, I was put in there as the first kind of, it would, I wouldn't even go as far as saying co-host, first guest uh, with Stuart on this off the ball, um, revamped off the ball. And I think their idea was a term that both me and Stuart hate they were, they were going to do this kind of zoo radio thing and they were going to have different folk in and mm. you know they'd maybe rotate you and all the rest of it and all that stuff but me and Stuart went in the first week we'd, that's when we first met a Saturday morning back in August 1985 and I came into BBC met Stuart um, and then a matter of an hour or so a couple of hours later um, we were on doing our first show together it was weird and you know, according to the producer at the time, and certainly according to Stuart, which I'll always thank him for, there was a wee bit of, I don't know, there was a wee bit of sun there, a wee bit of chemistry. And as much as we laugh and joke um, about us being maybe poles apart and what we, in terms of what we do, <coughs> what, the way our careers are, um, you know, the, the, the different things we get up to, we actually had a lot of similarities. Mm, I, were both similar upbringing. Very, very similar upbringing where every penny was a prisoner. Uh, Stuart up in a house and scheme in Perth, me a house and scheme in Motherwell. Um, and I think crucially, we both were passionate about football, but we both supported a so-called Diddy team. Mm -hmm. um, I, I often wonder, would, would the show have got off the ground if one of us uh, or both of us had supported either Celtic or Rangers? I don't think it would have. No, I don't, I don't think it would have either, but I think and you've spoken about this the two you've spoken about this before the, the, what kind of the two you play these slightly exaggerated opposites to each other in order to make the double act a wee bit more discernible what I was going to ask is how much of that is exaggerated and how much of that is just your 
Your well, characters. it depends. I mean, if I if I thought I've never even thought of this before, if I thought I was playing a part when I'm on the radio, I would have got Lorraine Kelly's lawyer on board <laughs> and saved myself a fortune in tax <laughs> over the past few years. But I've never. No, I I think your character gets built up by the perception that the listeners mm-hmm. uh, have for you, and I think it always baffles me. Uh, some of the way that uh, or some of the things uh, that I've that I would be noted for. Primarily, let's say my my taste in music, it, 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 it's no fabricated and it's genuine, and I I I do love the music uh, that I like. I'm very very passionate about it, um, and it's you know it's maybe it, it, it would be associated with uh, older people. Although in saying that, I'm now fifty three. Maybe I'm just kind of edging into uh, uh, really yeah. enjoying it now, you know, but slipping into it comfortably. But yeah. Um, it, 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 it's no fake. Another thing as well, you'll get, um, although this old guy gets his comeuppance with us before, uh, you'd, you'd be, I mean, the, the way I speak, for example, when I, when, I, when I was starting out, there was some folks saying, oh, I'd listen to Kevin putting on the, the working class voice as if I had just trapped for Bear's Den where my mum and dad had a luxury eight apartment house and all that. And also as if the listenership would have been primarily working class well, exactly. in the BBC at that point anyway. Exactly, but you know, there was, uh, I remember two of my old aunties, Manty Martha and Auntie Sadie, only one of whom sadly is now with us. They were up a wee day trip up in uh, Oban and they were sitting in a cafe and uh, the there was a guy sitting at the next table and he got chatting to him, an old boy, and oh, and where he's from? Well, we're originally from Motherwell, I'm doing East Kilbride, she's over visiting for Australia and the old boy says, oh, Motherwell, Motherwell. Uh, he says, oh, I sometimes listen to that Tam Cowan on the, the radio and man, he's couldn't believe their luck. You know what it's like, whether it's your ma or your old auntie, they're always proud as punch, no matter what you've done. And... Uh, they said, oh, that's, that's, that's your nephew, that's your nephew. She says, ah, I like your show, but I don't like the way he puts on that voice. Well, it's two very much working class ladies who grew up uh, in Mullow and worked hard the other days. Oh, they were just about to throttle the boy. They were, and they were both in their 80s, I think, by this stage. You know, they were going to strangle him. Uh, so they apparently had a right wee set too with the boy. And uh, I think he might have tuned into the shows after that with, with a different ear on the programme uh, shall we say what, did you ever come up against any other snobbery sort of within the BBC at that point trying to kind of get you to change the way you speak or get you to kind of no 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 not at all I mean don't get me so wrong so more external I absolutely I mean I, I, you know I knew I, I, I knew the, the sort of show I was broadcasting on um, and the only time I'll tell you the only time I think uh, a, a, an example or a couple of examples of me ever what I would call putting on the telephone voice a wee bit. Mm-hmm. Me and Stuart, um, it was, uh, I'm trying to think when it was now, it was for one of the big, either a Euro tournament or a World Cup tournament. Uh, Radio 5 Live was, um, uh, they tapped into guys that were doing shows like ours, mere fan shows mm-hmm. in Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and uh, they gave them a night on Radio Five Live, right? To do your own show, mm. so it was brilliant. It was uh, it was it was fabulous. It was very exciting uh, for us to go there to, um, if you like, a UK audience. Albeit now that you, in many ways, you take that for granted when it, because of the internet and stuff and BBC Sounds and all that, and, and we know ourselves. I mean, you know, once upon a time, some correspondence for a listener in Sheffield would have been great, but but now you've got avid listeners in Australia and New Zealand and Tonga who <laughs> yeah, if, they, if they never miss the show they never miss the podcast you know but when we thought oh, actually on Radio 5 Live that night and oh we 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 
tried their absolutely level best to make a right good fist at that night. But I know myself, if I were to listen back to it now, I probably would have just... It'd have been a wee bit like being on holiday and trying to get served in a cafe <laughs> in Florida or something. I would just probably have spoken a wee bit slower mm. and a wee bit more deliberately. But without putting myself off, if you like, and, you know, spending too much time thinking about that. So Aye. I think, as far as I'm aware, that's the only time that I've I've ever really done that. But there was certainly no pressure at the BBC. And, 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 and when you see how things have grown since then, uh, BBC as a whole, because they're all about getting different voices on air. Mm -hmm. And a good example of that is even the continuity announcers when they were auditioning for them for the new BBC Scotland channel. There's one guy in particular, I, I don't even know who the fellow is, but he's got a terrific voice and a really, what I would almost call a rough, gruff Scottish voice. And he's no like your old BBC voices of the past Aye. who would have the bulls in their mouth, you know, when they're introducing the next programme. So I, I, they, they certainly were not discouraging, that's for sure. I feel like, I suppose it depends which facet of the BBC it is, because I think they can be quite progressive. They can be they can be good in that way in terms of the different voices. Ben, there's other examples, like, you know, the comedian Limmy. Yeah. When he was, he had the chance to basically go network-wide, so basically all over, and they kind of said to him, ah, oh, we don't know, we think you're just a wee bit Scottish. And his point was, well, how the fuck do you expect people... To, uh, people won't be used to it. And he's like, well, how the fuck do you expect them to get used to it if you won't let people like me Absolutely. come on, come on uh, and speak? And the thing is, I suppose the, it depends who the person is. It's there's only other examples when you get things that are maybe a bit too London-y, a bit too Liverpool-y. It, it, never, it never seems to... Uh, they, they they never seem to have to leap over the same uh, obstacles, and I, you know, I remember in the past. I'm 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 pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure even in the past they had the audacity. The first time maybe something like Rab C Nesbitt was put on the network, maybe in BBC. <laughs> I'm sure there was even like subtitles and stuff, so. you know. And I remember once the the brilliant writer uh, Rab C Nesbitt, Ian Patterson, who I got to know through. Naked radio and naked video when I was when I was just a kid really, but I remember there was one comic relief night, red nose night, uh, maybe one of the the initial ones, um, on BBC One on a Friday night, and they 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 had got Rab C Nez, but Tim I became a kid on this was a UK wide event <laughs> rather than just as they normally they shun anything north of the border. Mm. They had got uh, Gregor Fisher and the guys of Rab C Nez, but today a wee kind of monologue that they filmed and incorporating red nose day and putting a number up on the screen and all that and after they played in uh, the Nesbitt kind of three or four minute film I always remember it back to the studio and, and a very very condescending patronising way uh, Griff Reese Jones looking into the camera and then looking at his co-host Lenny Henry and saying and we will show that again later tonight with subtitles and it was really and I, I mind Ian Patterson uh, when we went back into the BBC the start of that next week to work on Naked Radio, it just, just went daft about it. He was, uh, and no wonder it's, it's since, because you could say it's us being over sensitive or can I take a joke, but I don't think it is. I think it's a bit no, more insulting than that. Of course it is. Well, we don't have any, I never had any issue understanding Brookside EastEnders or, exactly. um, or Coronation Street, and it's because exactly. we're exposed to it. Absolutely. But I one wee thing I wanted to bring up, by the way, and this is just a pure segue into a story I was wanting you to get to tell, but I suppose it kind of touches upon the very Scottishness. Um, the story, <coughs> you'd be better telling this than me, see the story when, um, I think it was you that told it, because this is off the top of my head few years ago. Frank McAvenny was doing a pre-recorded show with Kenny no, McIntyre oh, yes. at the BBC and he didn't realise that he yeah. was... What happened there? Oh, it was great. It was uh, Kenny 
was pre-recording. Um, Is that famous faces or something? A series of things where I play, play, Scottish players who'd been there and done it. Frank McAvenny, for all that everybody has a laugh and a joke about Frank, he was an absolutely brilliant player. Aye. Celtic, West Ham, uh, Scotland, nearly Partick Thistle, before he went back to Celtic. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Kenny had him in a studio one day and they're pre-recording this chat with him. And then Kenny got word that, I don't know, a phone call had come in for Kenny or a producer needed to see him. So Kenny said to Frank, Frank, I'll be back in two minutes. We'll just stop there now. And Kenny went away. So while Kenny was away, Frank's sitting there and his phone rings. So Frank, <laughs> Frank answers his phone. <laughs> and uh, and unaware uh, to Frank, the, the all the mics and all that are still switched on. They had to put it in and off because Kenny was only away for a minute, right? Now, normal, I'm guessing, maybe normal studio discipline is the same. Maybe they should have put them off, you know. But basically it meant that Frank's private conversation <laughs> was recorded <laughs> and uh, Kenny although he later I must say on record he then did delete it in case there was man. any legal issues there but even Frank uh, was was enjoying this as a giggle but <laughs> Kenny then had it and I, I heard it then Kenny couldn't wait so you hear. actually you heard the whole thing oh I heard it aye and uh, <laughs> Kenny let me hear it albeit Kenny had it like on his phone or something on it and it wasn't wasn't great uh, quality but you, you, you could make out everything on it no but it was absolutely hilarious because all you hear is you hear that Frank's phone ringing and uh, and then it, it, all you hear is Frank going hello and then voice at the NC Sonny goes <laughs> and then the great line he says the neighbours must have thought I was fucking murdering you last night <laughs> and it was clearly um, a, 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 la a lady friend who had perhaps for reasons I, I couldn't have possibly and it was uh, uh, making a bit of noise in uh, a flat uh, that evening with Frank, you know, they were maybe shouting at something that was on the telly or whatever, or, you know, um, <laughs> you know, but uh, it was absolutely brilliant. And the best day it was, I had been on at some sort of football QA thing uh, with Frank about, oh, it was only a matter of a week or so after I'd heard this. So when I, I was being asked a question about something about the radio, and it immediately triggered that thought in my mind. Mm. And Frank was sitting there. Now, for everything that Frank has done, you would think, he would be impossible. It'd be absolutely impossible to make him blush <laughs> that I did it that night. You know, Frank, I started <laughs> so telling the story. that was the, the first story. time he learned yes. that he <laughs> I, I started telling the story and you could see Frank, he started, he looked at me and he, 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 I could see him thinking, Tom, Tom, Tom knows all about this. And he started going a wee bit crimson. But to be fair to him, he, he absolutely lapped it up. You know? pro his mind have been going 100 miles an hour trying to figure out how you oh, knew about that conversation. <laughs> but then I, I assured Frank, because even I'd said to Kenny, um, you know, I like a laugh and a joke, but I'm, I, 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 I can also put my sensible cap on from time to time. And I say, I says, Kenny, whatever you do, just, just delete that. You I know? get ready. But it's, it's one of these stories that's kind of out there. And I dare say, because it never, you know, even, even in the relative period of time that has passed since I'm trying many years ago that was, but it would, it would have, it would have crept online somewhere or oh, aye, see if it happened now somebody somewhere would have got out there there's an there's a audio recording of Gary Neville arguing with a schoolboy oh is that right have you ever heard that one no no it's no it's like 2005 and it's Gary Neville phone up how the fuck do you get my number you wee dick oh like, is that right aye aye and uh, the wee guy's like Tony Adams son gave me it 
Oh. And then Gary Neville's like, who the fuck's Tony Adams? At which point I'm listening, what the fuck do you mean who's Tony Adams? He was your captain when you aye, played for England. Aye, aye. But I think he probably just, one. I know he just, didn't, just didn't expect it. So aye, these things can, they can make their way out on Well, there were no schoolboys involved in the front back <laughs> of any story, I can assure you. Good for the lawyers listening. Um, speaking of people like, like Frank McAvenny and characters of the game. So in 1998, the BBC started a new form of regionalised digital output. Among them was a channel called BBC Choice Scotland, and that included England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. These eventually merged to form BBC Three and BBC Four. That's and the right. commission editor at the time, Ewan Angus, wanted you on that channel, and that's where Offside was born. Is that right? That's right. So um, we got a crack at that. Um, I did Offside at that particular time. It was just in a small, I think, Studio B. At the old BBC, um, it had almost no budget at all. Uh, there was no studio audience. It was me and uh, two guests, a chair each ordinarily, um, a kind of a, 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 a football, maybe writer or a football pundit, mm. and uh, maybe a, an, an ex-player, ex-manager, or a, 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 a kind of celebrity fan, for mm. want of a better expression. And, uh, and we went, and it was just kind of... Uh, again, it was just kind of as topical as we could possibly make it. Jokes at the start, some wee inserts. We did Vox Pops again because the the budget was almost non-existent. We'd almost do Vox Pops every Sunday in the Botanic Gardens opposite the BBC because it was the easiest place uh, to do them and certainly the cheapest. Um, and we'd incorporate things like that in the show. But again, myself and uh, my pal, uh, Rab Christie, um, who was uh, working for the comedy unit then, and they now effectively runs mm-hmm. uh, the comedy unit now. The two of us uh, put the show together. Uh, we are producer, me and Rab uh, wrote it, and we had a ball. We had an absolute ball. And uh, thankfully, after uh, a couple of years of doing that, we were doing a show every week because it was BBC Choice, mm-hmm. and because it didn't cost any money, effectively, um, they just kept putting one out every week uh, for two years. But when I look back now, it was it was uh, it was a brilliant kind of training exercise. So Aye. that when we when we get the nod that you know what, I think we'll give you a chance on BBC One with us. It meant that we weren't getting in there like novices, you know. For me, Offside is is honestly one of the greats of Scottish TV. I, I still go back and watch it on YouTube. I loved it at the time. I would have been about 10, 11 uh, maybe. I see. You Allowed see? to stay up to 10.35. I, I do you know what? Mummy, some... look at that. It's Big Jock the Cop. Look, <laughs> is that real or is that a man in a costume? See, but... to be honest, I, I would have probably missed bits of it because if I heard my mum run up the stairs, I'd be like, fuck, turn it off. I'm meant, uh, I'm meant to be wee... asleep. We dirty joke, aye, because we could we, again. It was because it was. Te- I mean, we when we moved onto BBC One, we ah, oh, it was it was a brilliant, brilliant time. I had a ball and all the folk that you met and all that, and the great people that I worked with, and and you know when you think back now, albeit it was uh, well, there you go. It'd been it effectively twenty years ago that aye. we started on doing it in BBC One. Uh, so I was uh, I'd have been th- I think I was thirty two when we started doing it. And when I look back now, I sometimes wonder where I, I found the time because by that point when I was doing it, I had then for nineteen ninety eight onwards I'd moved to the Daily Record. I was doing three fairly big things for them every week. A mm-hmm. football column, a news column and a restaurant review. I was of course doing two episodes of Off the Ball and then we were doing this telly show which uh, 
took a lot of time to put together and you were maybe Aye. suddenly the Vox Pops rather than the Botanic Gardens could be doing it Old Trafford because Man United were playing a big Champions League game that night we'd go down see who we could any faces we could catch outside mm -hmm. Bobby Charlton Alan Hansen who else is there for the telly any other ex-Man United players you know so it was a hell of a lot of work uh, we put into it but I think because we enjoyed it um, that's how we got such a long time out of it, you know, because mm -hmm. going for BBC Choice 98, we finished up, uh, we did the last show in 2007. So, I mean, nine years for something on the telly, it's a long time to do anything. 134 shows you did. Aye. I yeah. find, when I was having a wee look, because I remember you moved, I remember the first one without the audience, I remember the sort of red and yellow studio. I actually got a picture on your seat because I get a tour of the Queen Margaret Drive studios. All right, And I, yes. get, into, I get into the sports scene. And uh, I get into that as well. And then you moved into that newer studio where it was like a blue backdrop That's and kind right. of more modernised. I was watching, was it the other day? I was watching you and George Galloway. Oh, aye. And you uh, had, uh, fuck, what's her name? Kat, it um, was Cat Harvey. Cat Harvey. I think it was Cat Harvey then that brought out his, his prize for doing, uh, it might have been his prize for doing well <laughs> in the quiz. We brought him out a big barrel of oil at the time when <laughs> he got the stories about him and Saddam Hussein and indefatigability and all that. The, one, the, the line that made me laugh like proper scream laughing was she said, how did you like that, Cat? And Cat said, I liked him. And no, I was talking to George. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'd forgot. Aye, George's old big brother episode. <laughs> Having Shall I cat? He blocks uh, me on Twitter for that Because I tweeted saying now would you like me to be the cat? Touch you with that. But he was always very good with me uh, George and I See that's another thing uh, About how you're uh, perceived in the, in the world in which we now live I've got folk who are able to tell me If you listen to off the ball About my political persuasions <laughs> And it just makes Stuart laugh Because Stuart knows that I, I, I couldn't give a shite about Aye. any of that and Well I think the only the, the, the nearest I get when it, when it comes to politics I always think I'll take any politician on the show I would have taken any politician on offside simply because no matter what folk want to say about them they tend to be they do tend to be educated they do tend to be quite smart mm. and you put the two things together and it means that they can have a wee stab at a bit of humour and that's all I'm looking for or somebody with a bit of colour George Galloway had him on the, the telly show, had him on the, the radio several times. He, he, he's always up to something. He's always got some some stuff to hang your coat on and you can make mm -hmm. jokes about it. The same way as well. I mean, I couldn't believe the criticism we got when we had Douglas Ross uh, on off the ball, the, 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 the Scottish Tory leader. He was a brilliant guest to go on because he was easily, he's, he's a leader of the Scottish Tories and here you are, I'm a guy who grew up in the shadow of Ravens, Craig, Steelworks, right? So nobody had to question kind of my allegiances as far as it went there. I couldn't wait to slaughter him, right? But everybody's saying, well, why was he on your show anyway? You say, well, wait a minute, mate. Can you name a mere uh, high-profile match official in Scottish football than him? Certainly the linesman fraternity. He yeah. is, you know, he, he is out and out and out uh, assistant referee and high profile the red 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 card that he get the, the boy the, and fawning his arse when he famously went you know viral when he fell over the, 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 the line and all that so it, it, it was magic getting him on mm. it was you know and then but folk immediately because of the kind of divisive nature uh, of everything in Scotland and folk but rather than see him as being a great guest because if you wanted to take it to extremes right what mm. I mean by that is you would also get criticism for having you know a mass murderer on the show or somebody or uh, high profile you know uh, uh, you know but, but you would kind of take them 
uh, in a flash. I think the example Stuart used was, would I love to have had Hitler on if Hitler was still alive? <laughs> now, you would have slaughtered the guy because he was a bad, bad man. But there'd have been, been plenty of stuff to absolutely crucify him for, mm. you know. But, you know, that's just the example I mean. But that, we didn't get Douglas Ross on for us to sit there being mealy-mouthed and, and to be soaking in me, to use that expression, and because me and Stuart were ready to run out to the nearest polling booth and vote mm-hmm. Tory. Nothing well, could have been further for the truth. I, I take your point about having people for both sides, because then you've got George Galloway in one and then the other, because it was, I suppose, quite a... Or it's one you've spoke about in the past because she clashed, or Pat Kane clashed oh. with Ruth Davidson when you oh. had her on the... Then, well, she, would, she would have been Tory leader at that point when that aye, happened. Aye. And so it, I suppose that's people for both, and they are completely diametrically opposed. I think probably also worth pointing out is that it's very obvious where Stuart stands oh, in, in his political aye. leaning. So. I mean, he's even got his column, of course, in the wee in the SNP national. fanzine. You know, I, <laughs> I used to do some fanzine stuff back in the day, so it's good that Stuart's still keeping it going. But, uh, oh, aye, Stuart's fervent with all that stuff, but aye. he knows that I, I don't give a shit. Mm. I'm, just, I'm just looking for the joke and where you can go away having a laugh with somebody but I, I, I did though feel as much as I mean oh, we did Hugh and Cry uh, Pat and Greg on our show probably several times down through the years and I, I like that I've told you before I've got I've got a wide quite eclectic taste in music it's not just crooners and that. I love mm-hmm. a bit of jazz I love classical music uh, I do love what is commonly known as pop music <laughs> and I, 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 I do like Hugh and Cry I've been to see them live etc etc but I kind of thought that the day in question that Pat just kind of misbehaved and he, he he created an atmosphere in the studio that I I didn't enjoy and the, I, I saw the atmosphere we'd never had in the studio um, Pat came in with Greg and Ruth Davidson was our other guest Ruth and Hugh and Cry me and Stuart are there in the studio and for the outset Pat almost kind of did a half turn in his seat mm-hmm. so that he was he almost did his back to our other guest Ruth and I thought I can't know the spirit of the show you know and everything Ruth was saying and if memory serves, she was actually been quite self-deprecating and she knew that as, you know, Tory leader in, in, in front of likes of me and Stuart in Scotland, in Glasgow, you know, we were always going to gear a, a, a paste in, but she took it on good part um, and she gave as good as she got, if memory serves, but we, we, we kind of get through the show and every everything Ruth was saying, Pat was a wee wee tutter, a wee raising an eyebrow, and and I was thinking, oh come on, Pat, you're better than that. And it all push came to shove after the show. We always do a wee team forty um, outside the studio. If you're never lucky enough one day to <laughs> come in and do a show, you get the wee forty taken out in the corridor after it with the guests to go in the the Twitter feed or whatever and we were all lined up there to get the 40 me, Stuart, Pat, Greg and uh, Ruth Davidson and we were just about to click take the 40 and just almost with perfect and over dramatic timing just before the photograph was taken Pat moved out of the shot and said oh I, I can't do this mm. and he started walking away and we were all just looking at each other and it was a horrible horrible feeling and see that with that you, before you do a show at the BBC you know who you're on with exactly. so why, why not just say I'm, I'm not coming then because they had a tour and a CD to promote mm. and thankfully we've got a big audience see, and a, a wide demographic <clears throat> who you know may have been up for going to their concert or buying their CD and it was the first time ever Sean that um I went away for the show that night and I, 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 remember, I vividly remember going home I, I didn't have anything on that night and I was sitting with my feet up having a glass of wine uh, watching some shite like Ant and Deck or uh, The X Factor whatever it may have been 
but couldn't concentrate until I kept thinking about just the 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 the, the kind of the mood uh, that had been created in the studio that day, and then after uh, the, the the show and the awkwardness and all that. And even though, as I say, you know, without you know over egging it, even though you know the Tory leader in Scotland had bore the brunt of it and I was the guy that was for Motherwell in the shadow of Ravenscraig, blah, blah, blah. I thought, nah, I'm not happy with that. So um, I was thinking about it too much. So I texted our producer and uh, and I said, listen, how did you get in contact with, with, with Ruth? Was it uh, through a, a, a spin doctor or through a PA or email, phone? He says, oh, no, I've just got her number here because, you know, she was in with the bricks at the BBC mm-hmm. uh, and was a colleague in my right. producer only a few years earlier. So he sent me her number and I texted Ruth and I just said, look, I'm really, really sorry for the... Uh, the way that show panned out today, um, I didn't enjoy it. Stuart didn't enjoy it, and I just wanted to say on behalf of two is uh, sorry. And you know what? I used the term earlier. You know, it was what a half a duck's back. Ruth almost immediately texted me back and says, uh, and I quote, um, "Tam, I've uh, it's okay. I've built, I've dealt with bigger dicks than that." <laughs> and when you hang in the role, she was in. Then you hang. Oh, of course she has. She's in worse than that. Aye. You know. Um, I mean, I, I can't, I can't say I'm a fan in this latest, but. I would don't think I would pick offside as my battleground. Where? No, or even off the ball. Off the ball, sorry. Aye, but the uh, you, you get me a, a worry there. I thought you were. I thought God, when did that happen? <laughs> uh, offside was so many years ago. Now it was maybe Shawody Wody we had doing that. <laughs> uh, you know, with Harold McMillan, maybe no see, Hugh and Cry. See on Hugh and Cry. I, I love Hugh and Cry's music. I so do. Still do. But I know somebody went to see them maybe a run about post might have been post referendum yeah. and said the, the gig was hellish because they just get fucking lectured the whole time oh right Aye, um, basically like a political lecture and you're like fucking hell and just being a bit venomous see you don't get that thing Bert Humper no thing. you don't it just batters out the classics and gets on that's what you're there for that's what you've paid your money for by the way, you mentioned Engelbert Humperdinck, which makes me think of some of the greats, right? And I have to thank the King of Scotland, in my opinion, Billy Connolly. Oh, brilliant. How does this feel, by the way? He told Janice Forsyth in an interview for the BBC that one of his favourite things today was listening to you and Stuart on Off the Ball. Aye, and part and parcel of that, to get back to something that we were originally talking about, was the, 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 the sound, if you like, of the programme. Uh, two guys talking in, uh, in their normal accents. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the kind of Scottish vernacular um, no putting on a phone voice on the radio and whenever Billy had uh, tuned in he had he had clearly enjoyed that and he's a football fan as well so he, he, there was something else to maybe hold his attention so I, mu- I must be honest the minute uh, Billy uh, said that uh, live on Janice's programme then yeah our producer at the time had, had got it clipped and all that oh, and made sure that we, we used it as a trail and pointed out it was a brilliant thing well, imagine, imagine. Um, well, think how how idolised and adored and revered Billy Connolly is. Did you I, and your mate nearly fucking kill him? Yes, it was uh, my mate who was driving the car. I used to uh, run a, a quiz in my mate's hotel, and my, my mate's hotel was uh, didn't have a lot of trade in terms of folks staying there. It was mainly businessmen that were maybe in or passing through. Motherwell. You know, they'd book a wee room for one of an evening and the bar was quiet at night. So I'd said to my pal, I says, what about a wee quiz night? And he says, right, you do it for me. And I did it. Brought in pals, local guys, folk for the snooker hall around the corner and that. And it was brilliant. Uh, got a couple of quid in the towel uh, for my mate. So I was a question master. One night after the quiz, uh, my, a team, one of my pals, uh, they were leaving and we were going to get a run home. My mate was driving and we went up Catherine 
Aye, Catherine Street in Mullow, which is just kind of two streets down from Fir Park. And as we were driving along, what looked like a, a gazelle or something just kind of jumped out in front of us. And we missed it, he, whatever it was, <laughs> by the proverbial ball here. And it was only when this vision turned round and put a hand up as if to say sorry, didn't see you there. Uh, uh, we, we drove on a wee bit and then everybody was just at the same time. We almost seemed to say, oh, five years in the motor. That was Billy Connolly, you know? And then we all looked around and they disappeared, you know? Indeed, if it had been like a deer or something, you know? And then we started piecing it together where Billy Connolly had been filming um, in Motherwell for one of these uh, uh, Peter McDougall uh, films down among the big boys right, or something aye, like aye. that. So he'd been doing a lot of filming in a house in Motherwell, just down for Fir Park. And indeed, what pieced all together was the reason that I knew that was happening was that he'd done a gig in the Civic Centre in Motherwell, just mm. across from Fir Park, which I had managed to get tickets to go and see. So he'd obviously thought, well, I'm going to be in Motherwell filming for a wee bit. I think I'll do a, a wee gig that night. And uh, always remember as well, the night we went to see him at that gig, Motherwell, which made it a, a brilliant night. Motherwell had just beaten Celtic. 2-0 in the Scottish Cup it was a Celtic team of the year where they'd broke back McAvenny and broke was back it, was Charlie that 91 Nicholas. when you won it then? Uh, no, no, no 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 that was oh, a few years a, later all the times we've beaten Celtic you know, <laughs> but I, I can't pinpoint this one but aye it was aye it was uh, maybe about 93, 94 right. I think maybe 94 but yeah so nearly nearly killed uh, Billy Connolly imagine I mean you'd had to have gone and lived in Pluto if you'd uh, done something like that you'd never, you'd never be welcome you'd never be able to come back um, I wanted to ask you about your, your work as a food critic so restaurant reviewer re restaurant reviewer that's what always what's the difference uh, I think a food critic it, it's quite a, it seems quite a critic that's, that's quite a harsh word right away right and then you think well if you're a food critic I think you should really know about the food you should really know about the industry. Because yours about the whole rather experience. Than, I ran a restaurant reviewer, uh, which is effectively, anybody that walks into a restaurant is a restaurant reviewer. Mm. You know, uh, you know, nobody's going to go into a restaurant and sit down and be presented with food, look at a menu, get into the toilets, check the bill at the end of the night without passing comments. Mm. So everybody in that respect is a, is a restaurant reviewer. And I, and I, 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 I would argue that, um, you know, I mean, what my editor, when I when I first did it, was when I joined the Daily Record in 1998. I was signed up to do two columns a week, and my then editor, just be a quirk of fate, they were launching a magazine the first Saturday I was going to be in the paper, and he said, I'd also like you to do something for the magazine. And I was a firm believer in trying to stick to what you know, and I said to him, I remember it vividly, I says, right, I'll do something for the magazine if it's, something I'm into right mm. and I didn't quite know what I meant but I don't think he did either. he says what are you into so 1998 September 1998 I was uh, footloose and fancy free I'd uh, I'd the first wee bit of couple of quid in my pocket courtesy going to restart the telly and having done the radio for a bit and having just joined the daily record so I'd, I'd an absolutely fantastic social life <laughs> uh, which never involved making any food in the house basically you know and I was always out every night a wee restaurant here a wee bar there all the rest of it so I said to the editor when he, when he, he said what you're into I says well I, I enjoy eating out and I've got an active social right stop there he says I'm looking at a restaurant of you he says but I don't want it 
uh, you know, where half the article, like maybe some of the broadsheets, half the articles about where the, the artichokes were sourced, uh, you know, and all this stuff and going to Michelin star restaurants and that. I want you to do it as yourself and write it in the same way you're going to write my co- your columns for me. And I said, brilliant. And, you know, and, and what I quickly realised, 99.9% of folk who go into restaurants are, they go in this kind of Joe blogs just in half the street and that's the way I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I always did it. I didn't there was no phoning up to restaurants in advance saying, hi, it's Tam Cow and a uh, restaurant reviewer. I'll, I'll be coming to your restaurant tomorrow night at half past seven. So I assume you'll have the red carpet rolled out. And of course, there'll be no bill. And there'll be, you know, and, and get the best of wine out. No, it was not. I went with a pal, a couple of pals. And you just trap at a restaurant. Uh, if it was, you know, Gla- I was still in my own early days. So if it was maybe, let's say, Glasgow, he'd jump in a taxi. 20 minutes into Glasgow, me and a mate, couple of bevies, get the grub. And it was just like I'd, I'd been doing for years, Aye. except you would then take a few notes and stuff and then you would write up an article. And if you were going to, up to Aberdeen or Inverness or down to the borders or something, I would meet up with one of my mates uh, either at the, you know, Queen Street Station if we were going north and then just jump off the train at wherever, Perth or Forfar or Montrose or Aberdeen or jump onto a train at uh, Central Station and head down the way mm-hmm. and, and and that was that and it was dead dead easy ozy and you would turn up uh, you know and if if some folk recognised you um, and they you know, they'd maybe come over they maybe might see you taking a couple of notes and then I say maybe turn the paper by that point and maybe certainly with the telly they'd, they'd maybe clock your coupon and they come over and it's Tam Cowan isn't it I, he, oh, is this a review and I would never ever like them I'd say, yeah, it is, aye. Because the thing about it was, I was then sitting at one of their tables. By this point, I'd maybe ordered my meal. By this point, I'd maybe had my starter. Mm -hmm. By this point, I might have finished my meal. So they couldn't suddenly change everything on the night. If it had been shite, it was shite. If it was okay, it was okay. If it was brilliant, it was brilliant. So it was as fair as you could make it. And I always, (coughs) I stress with that, I always paid the bill. Uh, And the only time I did, nay, was for a gentleman and scholar, well-known Scottish chef, Nick Nairn. Um, I did his old restaurant, not far from where we are recording this just now. Woodlands? Uh, I think it was Woodlands Terrace or Woodside Mm. Terrace. And uh, the, the... Park Circus in Glasgow and Nick opened that restaurant I went with my magazine editor at the time uh, an old pal of mine called Jan and we sat there and had the meal and when I asked for the bill Nick came over uh, and he didn't take the payment for it but he gave me a receipt for your expenses bung in and it's a one and only time that happened and it was joyous how long did it take for it because it, it was a pure badge of honour now because I was in I was in the Hira in Renfrew which is an Indian oh, and your aye. pictures up the, the Chipolata Pakora have they still got that in the menu I'm not too sure they've oh. got, they, they, they are Oh fuck! What? Uh, they had nice haggis pakora, but there's another All one right. as well. I can't well, remember. Well, I tell you, chipolata pakora was a new one in me, and we went there because uh, there was a cracking wee guy, Ronnie Mackay, who had been a, a football writer. Is that the guy who passed son, away? Passed away, and it was like right at kind of hug my knee, New Year, and I always remember been doing an Aaron at the time. I got down to Okarani uh, quite a lot with the family, and I get the word. From editor. I was at the Scottish Sun at the time and it was Ronnie had, had a, a, a terrible kind of health issues and he's what was just a, a, a kind of young uh, life mm-hmm. and um, and then we get the news that day and Ronnie had always bummed up the hero to me I'm, I'm delighted I, I may have been struggling to remember the name of that I knew, I, I knew what it was and I could still I could drive get right to now but 
me and a couple of boys uh, from the paper, almost as a wee tribute, says, Mum will go and I'll get that place reviewed as well. We'll date just as a wee nod that's nice. uh, to Ronnie. So that's what we went. That was me. I was able to put a wee tribute to him in print. And he's, he, even his, his wife, when we went to the funeral, she was, she was all chuffed, quite delighted, and says, Oh, that was really nice. And we'll, um, you know, she'd kept it and all the rest of it. I but feel like. Chipolata I... Pacora, though, that was the first and last time I've had that. Uh, I, I feel like I should mention that. So you mentioned Ronnie McKay. I did my work experience at a newspaper like years and years ago and I was at a press conference at St Mirren Park and everybody right. no, I was a wee boy right. I was a wee guy and these guys are all there doing their job but they all just blanked me like kind of dicks to me which right. is fine that's part and parcel but Ronnie McKay came up to me and asked me my name what I was up to and just kind of chatting away to me he's like come and sit with me so I wasn't kind of by myself oh, brilliant. it's one of the things I, n- I never forgot but also that same day Roger Hanna for his son was there and he did the same he ah, was dead great. nice to me well it was Rona there you go uh, who was one of the chaps he was my sports editor in the six years I was at the Scottish Sun it was uh, Roger and the assistant or he certainly was in uh, sports editor and writer uh, Derek McGregor so the three us went and they were they were close to uh, we Ronnie mm. and uh, ah, we had a smashing night smashing what my uh, my favourite story oh well actually before I say it the uh, I'll leave that kind of till last but see the <gasps> what was the podcast you did a few years ago um, the food one I not, uh, scoff the ball not scoff the ball it was before that a podcast I so right I, I, I found this this is one of the first podcasts I ever found I ever discovered right. And I used to listen to Off The Ball, but then I was like, I want I want more, so I wanted something to listen to. So I was living in Spain at the time, right. and it was a time when I was like, summer hadn't just kicked off yet, nobody was in the city, I was kind of by myself, and it was what it was one of the things that kept me company. So one of the interviews you did, you would go to like speak to restaurant owners, I think, and it was, um, oh fuck, the Red Onion, the guy that owned the Red Onion, and he used to go and on tour oh, with like right. Aerosmith John Quigley aye what was that part? sorry it was for the was, Daily Record I'm aye, sure aye that was while I was still at the record and things like God, see I, that I mean, was excellent that I, was I loved listening infancy. to that was infancy um, that was 2013-14 the podcast were I mean, it exactly and uh, so that's what they did through me doing the, the restaurant reviews they'd said to me they were they were trialling if you like mm. uh, this idea of podcast and they, and they were wondering uh, who I could sit down and have a right good blethered way uh, talking about food talking about restaurants um, so I, I realised that over the years you, you, I'd, I'd got to know a few folk who fitted the bill uh, John Quigley been one of them he had uh, been on tour with folk like Brian Adams and That's, Tina Turner uh, and apparently Brian Adams just went to eat uh, uh, cream of chicken soup and stuff <laughs> like that you know but um, he had loads of good stories to tell uh, my wee pal who's still a very close pal of mine who used to have a cracking restaurant in uh, uh, Candle Rigs in Glasgow wee Guy Cowan he had Guy's restaurant uh, for a while it's now the, the Green Gate Indian oh, restaurant uh, in between a uh, a pizza place I think in the Merchant Pride Bar and that was that was a haunt of mine for, for ages I mean guys was brilliant kind of mm. like a wee almost New York sort of place where when you get into these New York particularly the kind of the the, the Irishy bar stroke restaurant man's, when you get into the front of the bar and then the restaurant back kind of happens through the back Aye. it was a wee bit like that I went in for years so I had a great chat with Guy because Guy had a brilliant story to tell he'd started out as a as a location caterer he'd, he'd taken the big vans out and he'd uh, fed everybody that used to work in like train spotting or uh, Hamish Macbeth Taggart or these anything really in Scotland and then for a a, a, a a kind of change of scenery, he opened his restaurant, and 
I had gone in and I reviewed it. Didn't know Guy at all. Um, he very politely got back in touch, uh, saying, oh, thanks, the review was really good. We've had a lot of feedback, a lot of customers in. Uh, mind say hello the next time you're in. And I knew I was going to go back and I'd written that in the review and made a note to get back in. It was, it was a cracking wee place. So then Guy introduced himself, time I was in, sitting just having a drink. And we became pals and... Uh, We've, we've both got quite a passion uh, for food we eat out a lot together guy came in loads of reviews with me we still love taking a wee a wee juke away maybe up to Oban or wherever uh, in, in, in the car and guy's teetotal so that's majestic he'll drive and then wherever we go I can have a wee glass or something nice. so yeah so we did one with Guy as well um, and Guy as I say because he'd met all these um, people uh, I mean Ewan McGregor had Ewan in fact for a film that Ewan did fairly recently last few years uh, Ewan came in and basically worked an inverted commas way guy for a wee while in the kitchen just to no quite method acting but just to get used to how a kitchen works mm -hmm. because it, it involved the role that he was playing uh, guys like Alec Norton were in Ken Stott um, and because it was a kind of a show busy vibe to it you know they'd always be when when groups or singers were in town uh, they would get word about it oh you should go to guys and all that you know and to the point that I was sitting at the bar one night and who should walk in a matter of I don't know three months before he died uh, but a gentleman called Jimmy Savile fuck's sake I was, really <laughs> <laughs> uh, you sound a bit too shocked here right? <laughs> no, that's, that's not who I expected you to say right. that. Ah, you, uh, you seemed a wee bit too as if I was giving you a flashback or something. I didn't know what that was about but you nearly, I nearly leapt out my seat there but I in walked to bold Jimmy who was in town doing whatever Jimmy was doing uh, and Jimmy always anybody that ever saw him operate at large he knew he always knew how to play a room and all that mm. he always wanted to be the centre of attention he always had a big gaudy coloured shell suit on and that the cigar and all this and the jewellery rattle rattle jewellery jewellery and of course at this time you know nobody was any the wiser about well, uh, Jimmy Savile of course well it was in the public sort ah, of it was all a nod and a wink you know uh, there was clearly as every documentary and book ever since has, 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 has uh, clarified there was certainly nobody that, that, that put their head above the parapet and, uh, and, and, I mean, and the, made any serious the claims points, the point's been made a million times but if you said to me even as a 10 year old right, oh, draw, uh, draw a fucking wrong and that you can't yes. trust paedophile I'd, I'd draw him absolutely absolutely <laughs> so, but um, but he, he waltzed in that night I'd never forget I was sitting at the bar and then I watched him with his wee very small entourage like a, a personal assistant or something uh, with him and maybe somebody else and I don't know what he'd been doing he'd been filming something or other in uh, Glasgow and again he'd maybe right where's good to eat here maybe a couple of oh you must try guys you know and then he went and then I watched him for the bar looking in and he's almost going around all the tables because every table turned I said oh, Jimmy Savile and he's walking around the usual thing taking the lady's hand and kissing them and all that and all, all sounds really horrible really creepy and of course right with hindsight but he did the rounds and all that and at that time I'm sure Guy was absolutely delighted. It was another wee, there was some pictures, I'm sure, had gone into the Evening Times or whatever. And, of course, Guy had got his picture with Jimmy Savile. And <laughs> he put it on the gallery, 
uh, as I would have called it, when you went up the back of the restaurant, turned left to go into the toilets, there was a wall there just for you into the toilet. And there was a picture of a guy with a whole cast of train spotting or right, signed aye. framed 40. Picture of him with uh, Robert Carlyle and the wee Doug for Hamish Macbeth. A picture of Ken Stott, picture of Alec Norton, the target. And there, about a few nights after all this had happened, I was going to the lavvy. It was, by that point, almost my local. And I walked around the corner and there, pride of place, big picture of guy with Jimmy Savile, right? You skip on. I tell you, it only was about, I don't know, two, three months later, Jimmy Savile dies. 2012 the, that he died? All the stories come out, was it? All the stories come out. And uh, I was in guys about a couple of nights later and uh, sat there having a drink, went for a pee, uh, looked at the Hall of Fame, the wall, and there was this one empty space. <laughs> <laughs> and this fucking picture had clearly been chucked in the skip of right the, the just bin. getting the paraffin out and set fire to it. But, you yeah. won't be the only one that was caught out with something like that. How, who else? Well, no, I don't mean like another person. I mean, the only person caught out with a picture with Jimmy Savile. The, oh, amount, right. of, the amount of people that would have had them pride a place oh, and then aye. everything's come out. And they all, they, they all love leveling that to do, which I think you've got. I, I take that tongue in cheek. You, you, you've seen all the minute Piers Morgan criticises him in social media. Folk always go to the pictures that he's had taken. Aye, where yeah, Jimmy like Maxwell Savile, and all that. Gary Glitter, uh, aye, Maxwell, the Weinstein character for Hollywood. You know, and you aye, think, well, Look at what Pierce Morgan. Of course, you know it's. But anyway, I there's. Um, did you see the, the two part Netflix thing about Savile? I started watching it and I was like, I can't watch it. This. Was, I know. I was like, I read the book. Um, I think it was called In Plain Sight. I mm. remember reading that in my in my Horrible. Kindle. And you'd actually stop noon again just to get your breath. It Aye. was it was absolutely bleak, but just utterly fascinating in a really really kind of dark way but mm. the, I thought he did a brilliant job with the programme on Netflix because I heard criticism of it I'll tell you who it was there you go name dropping Kenny Miller oh, it's yeah. Kenny Miller in the BBC one uh, week, just a few weeks ago put me on it he says I was watching it he says oh it was grim he says but at first it was two parts he said mm. the first part stuff they're just making him out to be a hero and, that, and talking about his charity stuff aye. and I said I bet you that's for impact Yeah. so aye. you watch a second one it's like Wow. I, I bet you'd have probably considered the American audience for that because yeah. they're going to be less yeah. familiar with him. And they tee this guy up almost in the first one. I and think. Sledgehammer. I, I think that's where I started kind of chucking it because I was like, I can't fucking watch knowing what the guy's done and you're kind of seeing the sort oh, of hints towards it. I and know, all and all they wee and they, they put up the, all these wee asides that they showed when he was on, like, Have I Get News for You? Um, and, you know, and then the other wee asides to guys like Louis Theroux when he did his programme. Uh, he's and very overt with what he's horrible, saying. Horrible, horrible things to look back now like when he was danger we'll fix it and you'd let he'd let Gary Glitter on as a guest and it's mm. him and him sitting there monsters with wait wait with Wayne's next to my you're right you're right it was I ended up fucking off and putting still game on I needed, I needed like aye, a, quite, when you a, just a need a break aye, a, a, a good shower I was like you one horrible it. old guy to a bunch of nice old guys absolutely to, talking about another bunch of well maybe slightly questionable old people what about uh, the couple what about the couple that um, were in restaurants telling the, telling the restaurant owners you were their son? Oh, aye, aye. <laughs> uh, they apparently made a right good fist yet. Uh, You've got to respect that. I, I, still, I still don't know who they were, but it was funny. It was like there was, a, there was too many people almost together. It was almost like exposing Savile. <laughs> <laughs> there was, uh, there, suddenly there was one person said, uh, Tom, would you run a restaurant? Was you, there was somebody unclaimed with your 
mum and dad and oh I looked after them and all that you know and then somebody else said a wee email like eh, Tom it was nice to meet your mum and dad the other night you know you know. now as I say you know I'm from Motherwell so clearly my mum and dad had divorced when I was a kid <laughs> so I knew that certainly was you not you had a dad I sure that, that, that was certainly not the case um, so I thought who the hell's dead and I kind of quietly applauded them and admired them Aye. for having the absolute brass neck you Gumption. know because clearly it, w- it wouldn't have happened in every restaurant you know you imagine you're there and you're it's your till it's your income it's your livelihood Aye. and somebody says oh uh, I'm uh, we're Tam Cowan's mum and dad you know alright their uh, approach to that the couple would have been right they're thinking that if we enjoy it and he gives us a freebie here we'll send Tam in to give him a glowing mm. review right uh, but it's not everybody would have done that there's Hopefully somebody would have hunted them, but I've, to this day, they might be listening to this. Well done. I've got no idea who you are, but ah, good on you for they've, having the, the bottle. They've given me an idea. Next time I go for something to eat, I'm going to get a notepad out, write a couple of things down, maybe ask the waiter a few abstract questions about, I don't know, some random stuff, and then say, right, okay, that's that's fine, and then just see what I get off the back of it. Absolutely, absolutely. I might get something. Um, speak, you, it's, well, we're on the kind of subject of food, the head chef at... Um, Cal Brooke, Lorna McNee. Mm. You were speaking to her last year, right? Aye, she you, was great. You said something that kind of interested me. You said to her, I'm tabloid Tam. I know my audience. I know my demographic. Aye. Now, you've got multiple job roles, facets, say like your professional persona. Everybody tends to maybe categorise you based on that kind of, let's say, assumption. How, how would you categorise yourself? Because it could be presenter, comedian, journalist. Aye, I don't know. I, I, I've, Is it I all was asked above? this... I don't know who asked me this before, but I don't, I don't know, and I don't, I don't outwardly offer something. I don't, uh, you know, folk used to always say, "What's it say in your passport?" But unless I'm mistaken, your passport doesn't actually say no, I don't your think profession. So. You know, so I, don't, mm. I don't ever know where that. Maybe once upon a time it did, and it was just one of these things that was mm. in the language. What, what does it say on my passport? But um, you know. Uh, that's how I love it if uh, you know you, we've all got our uh, critics now like if ever somebody says about me oh so called quotes comedian Tom <laughs> and I say well actually if you could find anywhere where I've built myself as a comedian yeah, go for it you know let, let's have a wee cash bet if you can <laughs> I've, I've never ever done that I've never built myself as in I mean I, I started out writing some gags and that for, for telly and radio I then wrote a, a light hearted football column I then wrote more light-hearted stuff about football and news and I tried to chuck in a few jokes when I did my restaurant reviews and the 28 years as we stand of doing off the ball I would always approach football in a jocular manner I did that for all the years on the telly um, I love doing gigs which I would call I nearly called it stand up there but folks say that's, that's you that's, uh, that's, that's, that means you're a comedian then but I love uh, doing that and folk that have maybe seen me and, I mean even a couple of weeks ago for example I did a thing for, for Alan Preston's uh, charity through in Edinburgh and it was me in front of a crowd of about I don't know about 250 in a big club in Edinburgh and I was on my feet for two hours and to all intents and purposes ah, it was a, a stand up show it was a comedy show mm. but I, 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 I would never have built myself as that as such mm-hmm. but it's something that I loved then I loved being in front of a live audience I, I mean I would call you a chameleonic broadcaster oh would you now with a good sense of humour I would All right. I think that's a compliment as well though right because I mean it's chameleonic a chameleonic yeah, it is, is a word it's right, an adjective okay. do you know how I know because it came to mind I just googled it just there to make sure before good. I made a cunt of myself and said that's it. good I once had a chameleon that is a pet that died of exhaustion after I sat it down one day in a tartan <laughs> shawl <laughs> 
See, there's a gag for every occasion. There is. That's a wee bit like Frank Carson esque. Did you know if him on offside and just oh, set him away? He was great. With Frank Carson on, we had um, ah. I mean, growing at my age, growing up, you couldn't avoid Frank Carson. For younger telly. listeners, he was a very, he was just a famous old-fashioned stand-up. stand-up gag, 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 gag Irish comedian, Aye. and uh, and uh, apart from being synonymous with shows like The Comedians, that which was just a brilliant long-running show on ITV, it was just all the stand-up comedians of the day back in the seventies, doing gag after gag after gag. Then Frank, of course, for slightly uh, uh, older viewers, he, he was a regular on Tiz Was, mm. the brilliant kids' programme back in the day. My mate's dad hosted and, that. Uh, your mate's dad? Toby Tarrant, his oh, dad's right. Chris. Right, right. Present on Radio ah, X. Ah, there you go. Um, so, um, Chris Tarrant, I, and Sally James, Bob Carroll, geez, and Spit the Dog and all that. Um, John Gorman, um, all the rest of it. But Frank was a big part in that. So, he was a legend, right? So, we managed to get him on as a guest on Off The Ball and we even kept it a secret from the studio audience and with a wee notion that me and the aforementioned Rab came up with we were also if you had a big colourful noisy loud guest mm. that you knew would carry mystics it was only a half hour show and you'd all the other bits and stuff to put in the, almost a wee monologue at the start with the gags you had vox pops you had competition stuff you had letters and the Johnny emails and sketch, for, I know. Uh, uh, viewers yep you had Johnny's Johnny always did a kind of six seven minute spot the impressions and that so it was a packed show right so if you'd somebody like Frank Carson on you only needed a uh, 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 not to be rude but a minor a minor guest you know mm. somebody that maybe wasn't as big in the public eye so this particular week uh, James Grady uh, could be his pal of mine ex-Partick Thistle he'd uh, been at a few clubs yeah, of course naked, um, he had featured in a game the previous week playing for Partick Thistle on a League Cup tie at Celtic Park oh aye when he's Tadger, Sean, <laughs> when, right? he, when he slid in for the tackle. Yes, and it was live on Channel f- Fittingly, you could say. Uh, live on <laughs> Channel 5. But it was a bit strange. A lot of folk forget that, that Channel 5 for a spell. They're the League Cup or showing the League Cup. It was weird. But anyway, so that had been a, a laugh, a joke about that, right? Uh, getting his shorts wheeled to one side when somebody went in a challenge and the wee Bobby uh, came out, right? So we thought, that's great. That's what we'll have a laugh with that. <laughs> Can't even have a laugh with that. So I thought we'll get James Grady to come on first. And then what we'll do, we'll not tell the audience because they'll be they'll be stunned. With the right demographic for that and everything. As I say, I'm getting back 20 years as well. Uh so what we did is I says to James before we went on, I says, James, the one thing I, I want you to do, he he was in the know. I said at the end of your interview, I'm going to say, James, you're a great wee character. You're always laughing and joking, even do that in the pitch. Tell us a joke. Right, and I says, James, just finish with a, like a knock knock joke or something that's rank, right? And uh, 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 and he says, What? I says, I just go with that, and then what we're going to do, uh, we'll take you off, we'll bring on a sub. So James played it brilliantly, finished it with James, that's great. Hey, you're a guy that loves a laugh and a joke and a carry on. Guy tells a joke, and knock knock, who's there? Lydia, Lydia, who? Lydia Teapot, and silence for the audience. <laughs> Chuckle or the odd wee, what the fuck was that? Right? And we, I think we played in the kind of tumbleweed sound effects, the, the, <laughs> the whistling wind coming through the studio. Because then what we had lined up 
voice of the gods right out of the studio we had because uh, I says to you I'm sorry we'll need to get you can't stay you will need, I'm taking you off after something like that so we're releasing and substitution for offside uh, going off number seven and James started walking off and doing the tunnel couldn't have been any better in terms of the set we had and coming on uh, number 14 all the way from Northern Ireland Frank Carson <laughs> and the only I could see them they were all fucking looking at each other and saying what's going on here and then out we are skipping his step walked Frank Carson Mike Nissan and as we'd asked Frank today just turned round to the audience and far oh we turned up nearly to pulling him off for about 10 minutes joke 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 and the audience went wild especially they were, they if were, you're not expecting oh, it oh it was great so he sat down Frank and we brought James back out of course you know and uh, we knew James James loved Frank Carson as well and at one point and this was brilliant at one point we had the still photograph of, if you like of James with the shorts pulled to one side we were able to show this on the yes, mental, albeit because it wasn't maybe a high res photo it was definitely his genitalia but it was maybe a bit blurred so it wasn't a, a graphic image that we were showing Aye. on the tell even at 10.35 at night so we put it up on the big screen behind where me Frank and James were sat in front of the audience and we said now Frank we were talking to James about this what, what, what do you make of this and Frank Unbeknownst to us, a, a, a producer had told him that we were going to play this up and what James Grady had done, and we might have a picture of it. Frank had got a hoodie somebody on the show to get him a prop, right? And the prop that he got, and when I said, Frank, would you make this? He reached behind the couch to get his prop that he'd had placed there for him, and it was a pair of binoculars, right? <laughs> and he sat there and he looked up at the big screen with his binoculars, and he looked down at James and he said, Oh, he said, It's a what? <laughs> I'll never forget that. It was brilliant. James was Unreal. pushing himself. He's taking then, that well. You know what? After it. It was great because what would happen when you'd a guest uh, making any sort of journey up to the show or maybe flying up or whatever, uh, they invariably get uh, put up overnight in the the, the Grosvenor Halton mm. Hotel, Tappy Byers Road, cross for the old BBC. So Frank uh, was was staying there, and Frank uh, liked uh, loved in fact a nice a nice glass of red wine. So we went into the green room afterwards. Um, as long as you could fill top. Frank's glass up with the red wine. He was sitting there, every day worked in the show, uh, sitting round about him, horseshoe shaped, and he just had to throw a subject at him. Just Cowboys, hit you with jokes. fruit and veg, football, <laughs> anything, <laughs> and he'd come out with a hundred jokes for him. And it, I was in my absolute element, and we must have sat there about oh, about half three in the morning. Only when the drink Aye. was done, that was it, and away he went his cap. That sounds like a dream, just being able to. We don't know, brainstorm and just think, who do you want to get on here? Who can Aye. we get on to come and have a laugh? Oh, it was great. And that's how you go back to the... Uh, uh, maybe there's something that would... I don't know, it maybe remain mayor special if I never go him on. Because the chap you mentioned earlier, Billy Connolly, mm -hmm. I'd always thought, and whenever I'd been asked uh, previously, um, I mean, every... Every when they when we did a wee bit of newspaper interview stuff at the start of every series of Offside, that was a normal question. Was who who would you like to get on this show? Aye. And probably the name I always said uh, would have been Billy Connolly. The football ones would have been a I don't know Kenny Dalglish or Pelly or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but it was always Billy Connolly. And probably same with the radio, and particularly after he said his kind words. But you know what? I I I I kind of maybe almost think that in a crazy way that it'd be more special if I never ever go to no, one and you were just able to idolise him. Mm -hmm. Fair far because I, I, when I have I've, I've had the great pleasure of meeting him uh, three times. There was a 
There was one night that um, a, an old pal of mine, Peter McLean, a PR guy, top PR guy, and he was a PR guy for Fergus McCann uh, through his Celtic days, you know. And Peter had kindly invited me along to a Celtic Motherwell game because it was a midweek game and he knew I was busy with the radio mm. uh, the weekend and Peter was desperate to get me along to a game. Not, and, and I don't, and my pals will tell you, I don't, the very idea of having to wear a pair of trousers a fuck my game it just I don't know just I, I feel so uncomfortable so I'm not really your hospitality uh, sort of guy but I went Peter's a lovely guy cordial invitation uh, and I'd gone along in this game and I'd taken a, uh, one of my pals who was a big big Celtic fan I thought he'll he'll probably get me out of this and me and he, he met all the, the players and that Danny McGrain I always remember up in the lounge an absolute gentleman just the way he, he embraced for want of a better word my pal the minute he knew he was a big Celtic fan that and it, again when you're talking about you always remember you're, you're saying about the way that certain folk took you under their wing a wee bit in the mm -hmm. press box that time that's, that's how I'll always remember Danny McGrain you know Aye, the way he treated my pal right back who me. was a, 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 a big Celtic fan so Peter had then um, probably tongue in cheek invited me along to a, a European game right <laughs> as a father you won't get any of these at Motherwell time you know and that's where I met Billy Connolly not only did Peter invite me along I ended up in Rod Stewart's seat he wasn't at the game that night which was then just next to Billy Connolly's seat. And it was almost as a... It, Peter had almost even got me into my seat with perfect timing because I was sitting there, again, I've taken one of my pals, the same pal who'd enjoyed it at the Motherwell game, and wasn't expecting to see him do that. And then who shuffled down the row next to me but Billy Connolly. I you would know? die, man. And I thought, wow. So I introduced myself, and by this point, he had done the wee bit with Janice Versailles. Mm -hmm. So... Oh, hallelujah, I was proud as punch. He, he kind of knew who I was or he'd heard me anyhow, you know. And then, the only thing I remember that night, at Celtic, the actual game, Celtic were playing, I think it was an Albanian team. And all I remember is Darren Jackson, it was that era, Darren Jackson mm -hmm. was definitely the team. And as they came off the pitch at half-time, right, and maybe to a muted response, they hadn't been playing great, but there'd been an ongoing battle between the players in the club about bonus money or something right Billy just for a laugh he wasn't showing off then, but he went into his pocket and he took out it looked like a toilet roll <laughs> but it was a big roll of 50 squiddly diddly Gosh. notes right and he was kidding on he's shouting down right how much he's wanting then to turn up in a second <laughs> as if he was going to pay them the money Aye. and I just always remember that it was brilliant but to sit next to him uh, and the hardest thing was to no be uh, to no be an arsehole and quote your favourite bits of Billy Connolly Aye, back in, which you must difficult. hate. I mean, your man, it's a bit like in the, what was the great episode of Father Ted when they date with uh, Richard Wilson who plays Victor Meldrew, you know. Oh, I keep shouting, I, 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 shouting, I don't know. Oh, I bet he'd love it if I'm both <laughs> there saying I don't. It's a wee bit like that. You couldn't Aye. start the incontinence knickers with Billy Connolly, but yeah, so as a result of that, um, to get around to what you originally asked me then, I, 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 in many ways you'd think, I'd love to get Billy Conlon. You know, it, it last came to mind just the other day because I heard that great news that he's getting the BAFTA Fellowship, mm -hmm. a great honour this Sunday. And I'm like, right, well, I'd rather be out in Florida where the ordinary lives. Maybe they're only doing it on satellite or on uh, video, but um, I'm assuming that he's going to be in London. And I think, you know, uh, who have Celtic for example as we sit here recording us who have Celtic go at the weekend and we've got uh, Hearts at 12 o'clock on Saturday afternoon at home or away uh, at home oh, which is weird see. but I think Sky have anticipated that we would have won the league and that's why they've because ah. we would never be playing at 12 see, on Saturday was, oh I know I know that's, that, that's how I immediately ask you I'm assuming that's an away game plans for the weekend 12 o'clock well. on a Saturday you normally think oh well that's Celtic or Rangers will be up with Dingwall or something Aye. you know um, but no to go back to what I'm saying then 
if I thought Billy Connolly was meant to be in London on a Sunday night, I'm thinking, yeah, I'd maybe made a wee effort to get to the Celtic game on a Saturday. Mm. And the thought did cross my mind. I wonder if we could get to him and get get him up into the it's BBC on a Saturday. You you know, but, know. but you know what? There is something about it. I just want to maybe keep him special. And, you know. I get that. I totally get right. that. I said that I, I, the only chance I would have ever got to meet him is he walked past me when I was driving up. Um, all right. Hope Street. It was right. the day after the Glasgow uh, Art School fire. Oh, aye. And I was like, that's fucking Billy Conley. And then it was like, no, why would, the, why would they be walking down Hope Street by himself? But he'd been up to, I seen him in the paper the next day, he'd been up to have it like inspect the damage or whatever, oh, have right. a look about. And I remember thinking, like, you're a fanny, should I just get out and say, oh, I would, I would, I wouldn't want anything for him, didn't want a picture, just wanted to be like, I just. Fate, and it might have been revenge uh, at that time, me and my pals nearly killed him. He, he kind of. Uh, get his revenge if you like I was um, it was done at the Glasgow Hilton Hotel the old main Hilton done at William Street um, and indeed the man that of course Billy Connolly used to always stay in when he came to Glasgow mm. and that uh, maybe he still does and I was in there to MC to host a ladies lunch right <laughs> but shoot you all the gigs and stuff that you can get sometimes not the easiest you know it's different Maybe getting a hold of my guys that are into their fitman and all aye, that, aye. and maybe you know, and uh, but the women maybe uh, they weren't they weren't quite as attentive this particular day, and uh, uh, and with good reason because before we could even start the day down at the Hilton, the fire alarm went off, right, and um, we all get ushered out, of course, by the staff. And you need to go outside, you need to go outside down these stairs and stand outside. And all the women immediately who were all dollied up and they'd all get their hair done and all that, best for all and makeup for the ladies' lunch. Uh, it was absolutely hosing it down outside. And they were all saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not going out in that. My hair will be a riot and my hair will be all frizzy and I'll get my new outfit ruined and my makeup will be a... Get outside, outside. And that's, that's, these guys at the hotel were forcing... Uh, you know, normal fire regulars forcing them outside. So, cut a long story short, when uh, it was just a false alarm, as these things a lot of the time tend to be, uh, they were all ushered back inside, uh, as indeed was I. Uh, a lot of the women were drook it. And then, as I went back in, I noticed that there was a wee posse of women almost going into a Celtic-style huddle around <laughs> someone. And who was in the centre? And I should have guessed by all the, the, the guffaws and the laughter and all the rest of it and the screams of joy, but it was Billy Conley who'd been staying at the hotel. He'd been sent out as well. He came back in and a lot of the ladies just made a run for him, right? He talked to him, got their photos, take me him, autographs and that. And Billy Connolly, the funniest man on the planet ever, um, was suddenly regaling these ladies with all their tales, right? Before they <laughs> to listen to me at this <laughs> yeah, fucking ladies' lunch, what right? A tough act to you know, Ali McCoy said that when he became Rangers manager, you know, after Walter Smith, it was like taking the karaoke mic for Frank Sinatra, <laughs> right? <laughs> Think how I felt that day. I had to foley. Billy Connolly was my warm up match, you know. So lo and behold, oh, I still got a cold shiver. I had to go, that was I had a to tough stand one. up in front of these ladies. They were sitting there, soaked. Their hair was all over the shop, and they had just been entertained by Billy Connolly. And then I get introduced up. I didn't stand a chance. How did I just get? How did I just say to you, keep the fee arm away? Well, that's where we differ. <laughs> <laughs> Murray it's the first time first. I've, mentioned, I've, I've heard the word fee mentioned in this particular environment <laughs> don't, don't worry I'll see you right at some point <laughs> no the day though <laughs> uh, as we round up we spoke about so much you're a, you're a young guy relatively not compared to me you're all compared to me 
I'm, I'm, but you've, I was I'm say 14 you've, in my head. I, you've, I couldn't I, believe it when I was 53 the other week there. I don't feel happy like... Happy belated birthday. Oh, I don't feel like 53. And I like... I've got a... a apart from my music, if you like, um, I've got a, a... You know, I've got a... I mean, I, oh, I still remember that. One of the old offsides that we did in our producer, Tony, told me, very excited one day, and he said, uh, uh, I've booked Fran Healy for next week. <laughs> And my answer to him was, who's she? <laughs> right. And that, so that, that I've always thought that's a story that kind of might sum me up ever so slightly. But no, I've got a daft when I think when I'm sitting with my pals or I'm out for a career that I'm I'm I am i am afraid I'm no a, a very mature or morose mm. or whatever fifty uh, three year old that shall we keeps, say. keeps you young. It does. It? It's like Stuart we you know, Stuart even at his dear old mum Alice's funeral, Stuart didn't wear a suit. Stuart was never a suit wearing guy, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, that kind of keeps Stuart young. I mean, Stuart's, God, Stuart will be 70 this November, for heaven's sake, really? you know. And as you'll have noticed, I know he was in this very uh, studio today uh, without his glasses because he's gone and had laser, eye surgery, had laser eye surgery for a man at 70 in November. So he can get a better, a better view of the inside of the coffin lid <laughs> as it slams shut, presumably. But aye, so Stuart has got a wee bit of that. Um, Outlook in life as well, but um, and again, what probably I've got a wee, a wee girl now in my a wee light in my life who's 11, and, and she keeps you young as well, mm. you know. And that's how you can get into like Avicii and all that, and Katy Perry <laughs> keep your finger on I'll the leave it with that. And I was trying to do that for a laugh in the, in the Sunday show recently when we have the off the ball jukebox. We got a wee theme, we play in some tunes, and it's great fun, you know. But when again, somebody whoever the guest was slaughtering me for my music choice, maybe I'd played Vera Lynn or something or George Formby. And I kind of mind too, it was the guest says, Oh, come on, I says, Hey, 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 don't you start tarring me with that brush. I said, Next week, I've got tickets, and I just plucked this name for some, I've got tickets to go and see Avicii. And then all the emails come in, Tom, it'll be hard for you. <laughs> he died about four years ago. <laughs> aye, exactly. So I so you can get caught out with that. But um no, I think I think in normal uh in, in a normal sense, I, I don't oh god, I don't know, I don't I don't it doesn't maybe say much for my mental state, but I don't I don't feel fifty three, mm. no. So in terms of for the years to come, there's not gonna be any slowing down, is it just keeping the f- I love doing the what I do. To the the best aye. way I can sum it up. To you, Sean, is that, and I, 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 this is an analogy I've used for quite some time. If I left the radio, let's say, on a Saturday at two o'clock at the BBC in Glasgow, I'm very lucky in that I can always get to all the Motherwell home games, right? Mm-hmm. If I I can get earlier, quarter to three, and I'm in my, my seat in the main stand next to my pals, see if I edged along row D in the Phil O'Donnell stand, my mates were already sitting there, and I said, oh, I've just come from my work. <laughs> they would quite rightly give me a bleaching. You know Aye. what I mean? Having just been paid to sit there with one of my pals, have a look back at the football that week and have a laugh, a joke, and a carry on. Mm. You know, so as long as I'm enjoying doing that, as long as I enjoy, when I went back to the Daily Record, um, I had a only kind of hiatus with newspapers um, after eight years at the Evening Times, uh, 16 years at the record, then six years, Scottish Sun, when I got my Mo Johnston move. <laughs> and I can't lie, it was purely for money. Uh, but I got six years there, and then, when it, again, we were talking about early newspapers, cost-cutting and all that. Aye. I, I, I was deemed maybe an expensive uh, luxury. Uh, so before they could 
chop away and chop away and chop away and slice it and splice it. We had a we had a parting of the ways, and then I had a wee. I quite enjoyed it actually. The wee about a year was that a year and a half, maybe uh, first time since I'd been a kid almost that I wasn't involved in newspapers, and then they got me back at the Daily Record. Uh, I, I, uh, just a, a few months into the pandemic mm. and they were they, they'd been bouncing about an idea about a, a, a kind of almost a diary of lockdown you know and, you but they were wanting it tongue in cheek and light hearted and all the rest of it and uh, you know laughs about shortage of toilet paper and uh, wearing masks and you know going for a 15 minute walk and all the uh, consumption of alcohol that everybody was going through etc 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 so when I'm old you know, Scotland, as you know, um, as a village, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. certainly media terms. So uh, one of my mates, who's the deputy editor, and he'd been my sports editor of the paper, gave me a call. And he said, listen, you fancy uh, doing us a, uh, a piece uh, once a week on the uh, Thursday? Um, and I said, ah, that'd be brilliant, you know. And I, I was missing it kind of thing, you know. So... I started, um, that's got to come back a couple of years now, of course, and uh, two pages on a Thursday. And it was started off as uh, Tam Cowan's COVID Chronicles. And then more latterly, I'm trying to think when, maybe towards the end of last year, maybe, um, last autumn or something, we dropped the word COVID and just Tam Cowan's Chronicles. And what I enjoyed, it, I could just write about anything. Mm-hmm. And that I've been up to, and that I've been doing, and that I've been rubbing shoulders with, the price of petrol. Boris Johnson, whatever, and I've always enjoyed doing that. And Sounds it's quite uh, cathartic, and it's something that's in my in my system. I like sitting. I'd never in all the years. I've never once worked in a newspaper office. For the very outset, I always worked from home. And the very early days, I'd, I'd sit up in my room. Um, in Motherwell and I would the evening times your deadline if you like because it was an evening paper went on the streets of Glasgow for about 10.45am 11am uh, your deadline then was about 7 in the morning mm-hmm. so what you would do you'd get in the habit of working through the night uh, writing away my wee column about the football and then phoning it in uh, to a copy taker uh, and 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 dictating it down the line, and the copy taker would type it up, bang, put it into the paper, and it, you know that makes me sound a little older than fifty three. You know that was kind of what I was getting at when I was asking about how do people get in touch with you when say when they wanted to give you a, a show off or I need to get you because it's not as if they're not going to have you always have your house phone number. Oh, or... I know. I mean, obviously, you know, dead easy now, MD. You uh, you know because of the 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 kind of multitude of platforms that you've mm. got, whether it's uh, you know through the BBC, they know they're able to hear your voice and they've been able to do that for twenty eight years, Aye. or whether as I say, we've been back in the paper ever since I finally dipped my toe into social media, but only and I, this is for a completely different podcast, but only Instagram as a other than lurking as Stuart likes to remind <laughs> I've, I've got, but that's made a on, on a research tool. I've got my wife's. Twitter app on my phone so that you know if I had you coming into uh, day off the ball next week and I'd never heard the or I had never seen your semi-naked poses that you like taking <laughs> yourself in a mirror and all that shit you know that I would absolutely slaughter you for of course um, if I didn't know anything that anything like that about you Sean then I Look, look you up on Twitter Aye. and see what, see what my uh, and, is. And, and see what you've been saying and sometimes more importantly hear what other folk have been saying and then that Aye. lets you form maybe a wee um, mm. a, 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 a wee identical photo of the person that's coming on you know so it's a, it's a great tool that but I am and MD will tell you about that Stuart is probably the best example of that I folk might hear you uh, you know 
you know, batting away on the, the radio and talking like a budgie and all the rest of it and having a, a, a laugh and a joke and having a wee, taking the piss out of him and taking the piss out of that. But as Stuart will tell you, and my, oh, my wife certainly, I'm, very, I'm actually very, very shy and, and actually quite introvert. And, um, and ah, you know, like, I, 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 that's just the way I've always been. Mm. And when I think back, even, oh, there's, there's another one for another podcast, but even in the, the wonderful world of dating and, uh, and and trying to appeal to the opposite sex. Now, I, I was never one of these guys with the bravado and all the rest of it. And even when uh, the old telly and the radio and stuff like that could, ah, oh, let you punch way above your weight as it did with my wife. <laughs> um, even then, it was not it was... If somebody wanted to come up to me and say, you that guy off the telly, if that was, if that was the way you, you maybe started a wee bit of a chat Aye. to a member of the opposite sex saying, great, because it certainly wouldn't have been me then. So you had to be the recipient oh, waiting for somebody I, to come I was, to you. Uh, you know what I hate? I was great with the old, uh, the flowers <coughs> and uh, I'll get that, the bill in the restaurant yeah. and all the rest of it. And even, uh, I remember getting, uh, what are you doing? I remember a, a, a female saying that to me once in Hamilton when I stood up in a restaurant as she was leaving the table to go to powder her <laughs> nose and I, I thought that was just a wee nice thing to do I, I generally just stood gentlemanly. up quite gentlemanly and to me then she thought I was gone as well and you know, who's going to watch your bags if you're to make the toilets but you know and I said no I'm only standing up to let you go to the ladies and that was that so oh I, I was and I can understand why when folk listen to you and as I've done here the day with you I, 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 I tend to batter on like a budgie and the reason for that it's good for and all the reason I date and off the ball and that's a thing. That folk can say whatever they want about me and they, they have done in the day on message boards or on social media or whatever. That's fine. We've got a great, great fan base, which is terrific. And folk, by and large, have been brilliant with me. It's very generous mm. with me. It's very loyal to stuff that I've done, particularly off the ball. But a, 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 a criticism I have for time to time that I would argue about is about uh, uh, talking too much or, or speaking over the guests or something like that. But my stout defence there is, and you know exactly what I mean in the in the, in the time that you've been doing this yourself now, Sean. Uh, my stout defence um, is that there's nothing worse than dead air on radio, oh, completely. and there's nothing worse than than you know a show that really has got a sluggish feel to it. I want our programmes to batter along. Mm -hmm. I want it to sound like maybe guys talking about the football in the pub. And get to any pub when there's a wee group of guys, anything like off the ball for three people upwards, sitting talking about the football in a pub, they don't politely wait in their turn to come in or put up right. their hand. Hey, can I join in the conversation now? They just all batter in and they shout and they talk her and they crack a gag and they make a wee ad lib or something. That's the way I want off the ball to sound. I, I completely get what you mean. I think you need to be adaptable. It, there'll be some episodes where, like, if I'm interviewing somebody, I'll be driving it along. I'll aye, be sort of aye. saying a lot. There's other ones like the day where I like to sit back because I think, in, in essence, the point of people listening is to hear, isn't it, to hear me every week? Yeah. To hear the guests. That's, yeah, and that's that speaking. just depends who you've got. And I'm, I'm I, I, if there's any you like, well, 28 years, you, you, of course you pick up, uh, you know, a lot of stuff. But mm. if I think, for example, just last Saturday there, right, we had uh, Graham Murray and as our guest, if you like, the legendary caretaker. People doing boss, headstands right, like he was always in, Right, exactly. And, uh, and when Graham Murray, and he was brilliant, A, he was a really, really nice guy. B, he was a right wee bubbly character. I'd never, ever met him. And C, he'd, he'd one story after another, and he was great. And he didn't put his hand up looking for you to invite him into aye, the conversation. Aye. So he was great. So probably if I listened back to it, I would have said a lot less in a programme like that than I did, let's say, a few weeks earlier with a lovely guy in 
uh, he was in to talk about uh, walking football. A guy for Ayrshire. Lovely guy. A great thing to flag up in a programme off the ball. Mm-hmm. But just because the guy hadn't done the radio before, he was naturally maybe a wee bit nervous. He's sitting there with, 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 with two old guys that have been doing it. You know, I've been doing it more half my life, which is astonishing, you know. So the guy was maybe a bit quiet. So that's where you really try to aye, G along and, and up the pace. Well, there's, there's a tip for anybody that's listening that's going to be featuring off the ball. Just get stuck in. Get stuck in. Don't, don't, be, don't be waiting. Absolutely. And slaughter his back you know I, I love that if anybody's having a go at his back it's it's absolutely brilliant although beware my wife because um, I, but she's, she is forensic with the, the with the Twitter and all that you know and she always looks just and I says look don't if it's anything bad don't take it to heart right it's, it's background noise it's exactly there's other anything. folk I can assure you but I, I, I think it was Wandy I don't know whether it was I don't know Neil Lennon or Ali McCoy or somebody involved with Southern Air says there have a look at the sort of shite they got you know what I mean? I, I don't get a half it. And what I've always enjoyed and cherished indeed, if I if I go into a, a bar or a pub, if I'm there myself before waiting in a palker and I'm sitting at a table and, and folk come out to me, without a word of lie, 99.9999% of folk, they're quite happy to have a laugh and a joke with you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm, I've, I learned a long, long time ago to always engage with people. And I, I mean, they're the folk that maybe listen to you. They're the folk that maybe pick up your paper. They're the folk that have watched you on the telly, whatever it is. So I, I, I think it's crucial uh, to know how uh, to behave and how to treat people and stuff like that. And that maybe came to the fore during uh, lockdown for me, where I'd never had been asked by so many people to do so many podcasts. Mm. You'll know what I mean by this. There was uh, so many people, young guys primarily, who had a, 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 a feel for Scottish football and thought, I'm going to start a podcast, right? Uh, and again, because I get such great encouragement as a youngster, I didn't refuse one of them. I always, you know, I, I, I no bother. And of course, in lockdown, it was hardly difficult. You get, you get, you get wired up to Zoom. You sat, I sat in my office at work, uh, at the office at home, and the you went, you had a wee chat with these guys, and you wished them all the best, mm. and and hoped that they'd taken a wee bit of something of what I was telling them in the same way that I did for the likes of Philip Duffer all the years ago. Aye, no, I pre- I've, I've heard you saying that before you did that and I really appreciate you coming in. This has been great. I've I've had a good laugh. You've answered a lot of questions I've wanted to ask you for a lot of years. So it's, uh, it's oh, I was been... waiting on a sting in the tail there. No, there wasn't <laughs> one. No, that's no, right. no, no, I meant it. I meant it. That's fine. No, it's been great. So thanks very much. No, for, I'm for very, very in. happy. Uh, that's fine. And uh, I'm sure people, I'm, I'm certain they'll all enjoy it. And uh, I'll flag you. it up as well for all the folk that have already when they saw our pictures saying, Is that your boy, Tom? You know, because it's, you know, <laughs> it's uncanny, it's uncanny it? particularly at the one you day uh, at gyms and stuff, you know. Well, that's it. Listen, that's I'm what no they, they keep thinking. Booting my pan in for six days a week to keep it <laughs> hidden, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed you still find time for the sunbed, look at you. <laughs> hey, this is real. This is just for getting right. a wee bit of sunshine in my face. I heard that. No, thanks very much. You're Tom. quite welcome. Good luck to you, Sean. And thank you for listening, and we'll be back as always with another episode of Blethered soon cheers Blethered was written recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light music and post-production by Brian McAlpine and for more information go to thebiglight.com if you like this podcast please check out all our other series including talk media natural wonders you could start a fight in an empty house Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, 
Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug and Old School. All on the Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.